I want to talk about the, this on the subject of making room, making room. We've had to make a little bit of room in here. I think we brought out some chairs, but um, I'm learning this because many of you guys know we just brought home a baby six weeks ago. Cohen David Parker Blackburn was born, and uh, in the process of welcoming a baby into this, this world, you learn that you've got to make some room. Uh, my kids have had to make some room in their hearts. Um, because both of them, in our situation, are both firstborn kids. They're spoiled. They're used to having our attention solely. And now they're having to make some room for a third one where they're not getting as much attention. In fact, our daughter, Natalia, she's six. We took her to the doctor's appointment where we were finding out the gender of the baby. And, uh, of course, she wanted a baby sister. And my son, Weston, he wanted a baby brother because they just, you know, wanted to have their own kind of pal. And uh, the doctor puts up the sonogram and shows us, oh, those are boy parts. And, and so he said, you're going to have a baby brother. And Natalia just loses her mind, like inconsolably crying. I'm having to take her out into the hallway and all of the people at the register there, the receptionist, they're like, is she okay? I'm like, yeah, she just found out she's having a baby brother. They're like, oh, I get it. Until we explained to her, that means you don't have to share your toys or your clothes. And she was like, okay, <laughs> you know, it's totally fine. But she was having to learn how to make some room in, in her heart. Uh, she won't have to make room in her closet, so that's good. We, uh, we also are learning we have to make room, just like practically speaking, because we have three bedrooms up in our upstairs. We have no bedrooms on our master floor. We've got two what could be bedrooms in our basement. We thought it probably wouldn't be good to put the baby in the basement, you know, more for mommy's convenience than anything else, right, going up and down flights of stairs. So we're like, okay, we've got to take the kids out of each of their, they've got to share a room now, so let's make, get some twin beds, and let's go to the motherland, Ikea, <laughs> and uh, get some more furniture, which, by the way, Ikea is, uh, there's two things that will make a pastor cuss. Can I just go ahead and be real with you? Ikea furniture and car seats, and both of those things you got to deal with when you're trying to make room for a baby. We've got our car seats now three deep in the back. We've got, uh, I had to disassemble one and make one into a booster seat for Natalia and then kind of change one around for Weston and get Cohen's in there. And it's just been kind of crazy making room. But the cool thing we've discovered is that it's not just us that makes room for a baby. It seems like the entire world makes room for your baby in awesome ways. Like there's a lot of stores they have specified parking for pregnant women. We're like, wow, that's awesome. You know, it's like, let's just find this spot right there. You know, and, and, then, and then many people will let you cut in line if they see that you're pregnant or if you're carrying a car seat. I kid you not, like you go into Walmart and because it's Walmart, they decide to open one lane at Christmas season. I don't know why, it's Walmart. And you've got this massive line, but we're carrying a car seat and they're all like, oh, come here, come in here, just get in line right there. We're like, are you sure? Are you sure? Okay, no, don't mind if I do, right? So Christy and I have decided that when we're done, when Cohen grows out of his car seat, we're just gonna carry around an empty car seat everywhere we go. It's awesome. Went to Nashville earlier this week and walked into this full coffee shop, really hipster. And even like the millennials were getting out of the way, making room for us to come and sit down. It's just an amazing, amazing thing. And here's what I've discovered. People make room for a baby, which, which is why the Christmas story is very confusing to me. Can I be honest? Is it okay to be honest in church? Sometimes I ask more questions about the Bible than I have answers, I want to kind of take you on a journey of asking some questions because I've got some questions about the Christmas passage that we're all so familiar with, Luke chapter 2, under the context of people making room. Because this is what it says in 
Verse 1, in those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place. While Quirinius, however that's pronounced, was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he, longed, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. Now, here's the part that's confusing to me under the context I just presented you with, because there was no room for them in the end. I don't understand that. Because what I've experienced in just modern-day hospitality is people make room for a baby. Jewish culture is even more hospitable than we are. They are known for their hospitality. And some might say, well, maybe they didn't know that Mary and Joseph were having a baby. You can't hide nine months pregnant. I'm, I'm just going to be honest. And they're riding in on a donkey, and oftentimes we get this picture of them kind of knocking at these different inns, or maybe they tried to Airbnb, but because of the census, it was all full up. I don't know. And so she, they're trying to find this place, and Mary's obviously pregnant, and I'm not sure you can tell me people didn't notice that. It just seems they didn't make room. I also don't think you can tell me that people didn't notice that she was going into labor. Now, uh, because of modern day te technology and the advancement of science, we have anesthetics, and so the labor process can be a little bit easier, but they didn't have that back then. And uh, by the way, when we went through our labor process, my wife looked at me and she said, you're going to be my coach to work through this delivery. She wanted to go through naturally, and I was like, excuse me, you want what? I say what? You want me to be the coach? She was like, yeah, you're going to be the coach, the birth coach. Did you know that there were such things, birth coaches? And I was like, okay, all right, we'll try. She said, the two phrases you can't say are, you can do this and you've got this. I said, baby, that's all I've got in my arsenal. <laughs> like, I coach baseball, football. I just say, you can do this, you know, like. So I know how to do this. So instead, um, we hired Aaron Lemmy. Thank you, Aaron, for coaching my wife through the whole process. But I can tell you right now, uh, delivery is a loud experience. My beautiful wife, there were some things that came out of her mouth that I'd never heard before. And I don't ever want to hear again, okay? Can we talk about how loud a baby is? A baby is loud. When it cries... It's, it's clocked at, research says that a baby's cry is upwards of 120 decibels. Do you know what else clocks at 120 decibels? A fire engine and a rock concert. People are like, Baby, baby's got a cute cry. Yeah, until they get really mad, then it is loud. You can't tell me that they didn't notice what was going on. But somehow in the midst of all of this noise, in the midst of what was happening, they missed it. Sometimes I wonder if we can be in the middle of all the things of God. We can go to church. We can be around the people of God. We can invite our family and lead them into devotions of Advent and totally miss the heart of God. You ever just missed it when it's right there in front of you? My cousin told me that, um, that his wife grew up in Carmel and went to a party one time where Peyton Manning was there. And uh, she was not a sports fan at all. So she walks out to the backyard where everybody's playing. Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning is standing right there watching. And um, she kind of looks over. Peyton Manning looks over. And she's like, so which of these kids are yours? He was like, none of them. She's like, 
okay, um, kids, come here, you know. And then he looks at her, and, and after some conversation, she still hasn't deduced who it is, he says, would you like a picture with me and some of the kids or something? And she's like, what? Like, weirdo, you know. Had no idea that it was Peyton Manning. She missed it, and he was right there in front of him, the most prolific quarterback that ever hailed our Indianapolis Colts. You ever miss it? These people missed it. The Savior, Christ, was right there. Which, which leads me to ask a couple questions. How did they miss it? And maybe if we can ask that question, we can make sure that we don't miss it this season. I wonder if they missed it because it was a little messy. And this is the first question I want to ask you. Will you make room for Jesus in your mess? Because if we look at this passage, it's a little bit messy. In fact, the whole story of Christmas kind of comes through a lot of mess. You see, I think when we read this passage, we kind of picture this innkeeper who's really shrewd and he's really mean and he, he doesn't let them into the inn. And so we've got this character that we've personified, the innkeeper, but this passage never mentions an innkeeper. In fact, this passage is kind of misleading because in verse 7 where it says there's no room for them in the inn, it actually isn't talking about an inn. There's two words in the Greek that we translate into in. The first word is uh, pandoxeo. And pandoxeo is used when the Good Samaritan, if you remember that story, picks up the guy, takes him to an inn for him to heal. They use the word pandoxeo. It actually is an inn. But this word is not pandoxeo. It actually uses the word kataluma, which means guest room. So what should be translated is because there was no room for them in the guest room. And it causes me to ask a couple more questions. Namely, why was Joseph in Nazareth and not in his hometown in Bethlehem? Why did he have to travel back to Bethlehem? Because if you don't understand Jewish culture, you'll miss this. Jewish culture was such that a father would send his son to go pick a bride in another town, in another family or another clan. The, the groom would propose, and then the groom would leave for a year go back to his hometown where his father lived and he would construct a guest home or an addition onto the house, a cataluma, if you will. And that's where he would bring his bride back to go and live with the entire family. It was like this communal living type scenario, which those of you guys, maybe you are already hearing this kind of in, in, in echoing in your mind when Jesus says, I leave to go and prepare a place for you. He's speaking marriage language right there because of the relationship that he wants for us. So Joseph is bringing his bride back to his hometown, and he, based on what we can infer from the passage, is knocking on the house of his father. And there was no room for them. Why? Because I wonder if it's messy. I mean, this is a kind of a messy story, isn't it? Mary winds up pregnant out of wedlock. Do you think the whole family's buying the idea that the Holy Spirit impregnated her? No, the, the, the family would have been ashamed of this, especially at this day and age. But, but that doesn't tell us why Joseph was in Nazareth in the first place. Maybe he was in Nazareth because there was already some estrangement with the family. Maybe there was already some brokenness or some mess, or maybe there was some financial pressure or something. He had to go find some work. Regardless, there is a mess going on. If we look at the, the lineage of Joseph and, and kind of his forefathers before him, there were some messy, messy characters in the line of Joseph. 
One of his great, 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 great grandmothers, I'm not sure exactly how many there that was, but was Rahab, a woman who made a living sleeping with people, a prostitute. And yet God somehow got into her life. She made some room and he redeemed it and put her on the lineage of Joseph and then the Messiah. Let's just talk about Tamar, another one of the great, 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 great grandmothers of Joseph. Tamar dressed up as a prostitute at one point and seduced her father-in-law. Is this, like, like, we think we've got some family mess? What about David? King David's in this same line. King David slept with his best friend's wife and then had his best friend killed to cover it up. There is some mess involved in this story. And that's what I love about the Christmas story. Because God entered into our mess. He didn't look at the mess of humankind and say, yeah, I don't know if I can do anything with that. He entered into the human condition, into our mess. And this is so great because every single one of us has some mess. Every one of us has mess. And the reason our lives are riddled with mess and brokenness, whether we want to admit it or not, is because of this one single idea and thing called sin. The very beginning of time, God created everything, and then he put man and woman, Adam and Eve, in the garden and told them, hey, you can eat of everything. You're free to eat of everything except for this one tree, and if you tell humans they can do everything except for one thing, what are they going to do? The one thing. And so they ate from it, rebelled against God, decided to go their own way, and from that moment, it fractured the universe because sin entered into the universe. And line after line after line, generation after generation after generation, we are now born into this thing called sin. We are sinful, David says in Psalm 51, from birth, from the moment we came into this world because of this sin curse that is on humanity. You don't believe me? Babysit a kid for an hour. You don't have to teach them how to rebel. And so, so this sin causes this, this propensity toward ourselves. We want to put ourselves on the throne rather than put God on the throne in, in its rightful place. And it causes a selfishness within us. There's a couple things that remind me of my selfishness. Two things specifically that remind me of my selfish, selfishness more than anything else. Traffic is one of them. Hello. Especially in Indianapolis, when they decide that they're going to work on all of 465 at the same time, right? I mean, someone will cut me off in traffic, and I'm like, oh, it's all about you, okay? Your world, I'm just living in it, you know, right? I'm, this is what I'm thinking, but I'm trying to set an example for my kids, so I'm not saying it, you know what I'm saying? But then I find myself in a moment where I've got to merge into traffic and I'm squeezing and cutting somebody off and then they lay on the horn and they tell me politely I'm number one. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, well, it's your world. I'm just living in it, you know. Same exact response. Why? Because I'm selfish. Traffic. Food makes me realize my selfishness. <laughs> the first time I took Christy out to dinner, we, 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 we split a plate of fries and the entire time, I like drew an imaginary line where I was watching how many fries she was eating, you know? We don't split anymore, right? <laughs> I know love does not keep record of wrongs, but it keeps record of french fries, you know what I'm saying? Why? Because I have an inward bent on myself. And this sin that I've been born into, this selfishness, this inward bent on myself has caused a separation between me and God. This great chasm that nobody could fill on our own. <laughs> And then it's led us down this road of mess. And you might be in here today and you might be in a mess. 
Your family might be full of some brokenness. You might have made a decision that altered the course of your life that you regret. You might have all kinds of shame from this one past thing that somebody did to you. Regardless of where you're at, we are all in a mess. Now, some people would say, well, you know, I'm pretty good. I'm a good person, Davey. I'm not that. Really? Compared to whom? Because God's standard is a, we have trouble keeping our own standards. Look at your New Year's resolutions, let alone God's standards. We know God's standards by this one thing, the Ten Commandments. Let's just take one of these Ten Commandments. Let's see how we're doing. One of them says, do not lie. Raise your hand if you've ever lied before. Okay, all right. If you're not raising your hand, welcome to the club. You just lied. (laughs) And Scripture says one sin, one falling short of God's standards separates us from God, potentially for all of eternity. I don't think I have to convince you, though, that we have a mess in our lives. I think what most of us feel is that there's mess and there's brokenness, but we often feel like we kind of have to clean ourselves up before we can kind of find that peace with God. And I want to contend to you that you don't have to, nor can you clean yourself up before you crack the door of your heart and make room for God because when you make room for Him, He will move in your mess. Would you make room for Him in the mess? I mean, my, my little boy Cohen, he has made some messes. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> we, um, we, used, we used Huggies for Weston until we realized that Huggies is false advertisement. Because it promises to like hug that little bottom and you know. But man, the second, so- it's like, whoa, hey, no. <laughs> And it can create quite a mess. But when my little boy, just the other day, Cohen, he made a mess, what did I do? Did I condemn him? Did I shame him? I can't believe you. Why would you do that? It's all up your back now. Like, it's all over every, why in the world would you? No. What did I do? As his father, I knelt down. And I'm like, oh, buddy, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I know this is awful. And we cleaned up his mess. Don't miss the significance of the Christmas story, friends. In our mess, while we were still sinners, God wrapped himself in flesh and he stooped to enter into our mess and to clean it up. Maybe, maybe they missed it because they thought that it was too messy. Maybe they missed it because they were in some distress. That's the second question I want you to ask yourself. Will I make room for Jesus in my distress? You see, there's other characters in this story. Uh, The shepherds, you guys have all heard this character. Uh, In Luke chapter 2, verse 8, it says, And then there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Now, that makes sense that he would say that. Because if 
like you're just kind of out in the fields, you're just hanging out, like you have a campfire, and all of a sudden the heavens open up and there's an angel up there, I would be afraid. I would probably mess myself. <laughs> he says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Can I zero in on this idea for just a second? Peace to those on whom his favor rests. You see, the Christmas story is not just one about God stepping in to make peace with us. It's also one where he stepped in to give us his peace. Let me, let me say it this way. You might be in here and maybe the room that you need to make in your heart is you need to make room for peace with God. Because when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, what he did for you on the cross, the fact that this little baby grew up and became a man and he, he had this ministry where he preached about the kingdom of God and the coming of peace and he preached that all of your sin, past, present, and future can be wiped clean by what he was going to do on the cross. And so he went to the cross and he made a way for all of our sin to be forgiven, all of our shame to be cleansed. And when you receive that, Scripture says it's just as if we have never sinned. We are justified before God. It's as if he doesn't even see our sin anymore. There's no more gap. Jesus filled in that gap with the cross. We receive that. We have peace with God. But maybe today, that's not the room you need to make. Maybe today the room you need to make is to have the peace of God in your heart. Because maybe like the shepherds, you're full of a lot of anxiety or worry or hurt. Maybe you're watching everybody else hustle and bustle at Christmas time and you're like, man, it seems so awesome for them and things seem so peaceful and I'm watching Instagram and all these family gatherings, but man, all I feel is loneliness. I'm just constantly reminded of my disconnection. Man, all I feel is depression. This season just causes me to be even more depressed because I don't have anybody or I don't have family or nobody accepts me or Maybe you're struggling with peace. Maybe you're like, you know, Davey, this whole missing God thing, <laughs> it sure would be a lot easier if the angel would show up in the sky just like he did for the shepherds. Like maybe it would help me. Maybe it would give me some kind of direction. Maybe I'd be like, oh, okay, God cares about me. He's, he's there for me. Because right now, all I feel is just this massive distance from God. You ever been there before? You see, I wonder why it is that the angels showed up in the sky for the shepherds. What we know about shepherds is that they were the ostracized, the marginalized, the lowest of all of the society. And so they were always pining and trying to make sure that their livelihood was taken care of. And so they had these sheep, and they were constantly watching their sheep, and they were paranoid that anything that would come and attack their sheep because it could encroach on their livelihood. And so they're constantly worried and anxious, and, and, and they're always looking around at the sheep, and they're looking around making sure that nothing's going to attack their sheep, and they're looking down. And then all of a sudden, up in the sky, the angels show up. And it draws their attention up. I, I have to believe this is significant. Because I wonder if the message for many of us is, hey, in the midst of your anxiety, 
in the midst of your depression, in the midst of your loneliness and your sense of not belonging, instead of looking around at everything else, instead of pining and trying to, with a scarcity mentality, trying to hedge yourself away from any of the threats, fear not. Look up. Because your Savior, He's here. And He wants to enter into your distress. You see, when we put our eyes on our Savior, all of a sudden, our circumstances don't seem so daunting. <laughs> you see, well, as long as we can look at our problems and we take inventory of those all the time, man, those things can get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger because what we focus on, we will find. But if you can lift your head, friend, and you can look at your Savior, you can realize that even though it's over your head, it's still under his feet. And he's the one that sits on the throne. And he's got it taken care of. And he's got a way already made for you to get out of this situation that you're in. And he wants to enter in in the midst of your distress if you will crack the door of your heart and you will let him. You see, these things you're feeling, they're not, they're not indicators that you're a bad person. It's not bad that you're feeling anxious. It's not bad that you're feeling depressed. It doesn't make you, it doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you a normal person. It makes you a person right in the middle of this, this gap of the human condition and who God is. And in every one of these situations, you might not think God's calling out to you, but I wonder if God calling out to you actually is the thing that you're feeling. Perhaps the anxiety, the loneliness, the depression, perhaps all of these things are actually invitations from God to let him in. Maybe if you're feeling anxious about your financial situation, maybe God's going, hey, 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 just open the door, make some room in your finances and watch me move because when you make room, he will move. Maybe it's in relationships and he's like, hey, just open the door. Like, like that bitterness, like crack that bitterness a little bit and open the door and let me in because when you make room, I'll move. You see, C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. That this is a megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And I wonder in the midst of the shepherds, if you can identify yourself as one of these pining, striving shepherds, that today God is shouting and saying, let me in. Because little did they know they were going to go sit at the feet of the good shepherd. And the good shepherd leads you through whatever valley you find yourself in. That's why the shepherds had such an amazing experience. But they had to make room. So, 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 so my question is, is, will you make room for God in your mess? And will you make room for him in your distress? Because it's not just peace with God that we need. We need the peace of God. And Jesus didn't step into this world to die for us just so we could be made right before God, so that we could have salvation. He didn't come in just so we could cope with the things that are going on. We were never meant, friends, to cope. We were meant to conquer through the power of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus and the empty tomb. I want to invite um, the band to come up. They're going to help me close. You see, what we, 
what we tend to miss in this Christmas story is everything looks so, like, romantic, pastoral, you know? You've got the little nativity scene at your house, and you've got the cute little sheep and the cute shepherds, and you've got the angel with the diaper that's kind of over top of it. Everything looks so peaceful, but at the end of the day, friends, this is, this is a messy, messy thing that Jesus entered into. And then he bookends his life with mess. Do you know how much God loves you? Not that he would just send his son to live and show you and I a different way, but that he would send his son to die. You see, the Christmas story is awesome, but it's kind of a moot point if we don't understand the cross and the mess of the cross. You see, Jesus at age 33, he was arrested and he was tried illegally and he was brought in. They spat on him, they mocked him, they jeered at him. And then they forced him to carry a cross. Interesting that he came in and he laid in a manger, this wooden cradle and then he would leave this world at least initially on a wooden cross they stretched him out and they put nails in his hands and they put nails through his feet prior to this they whipped him and flogged him until he was completely unrecognizable and blood is covering everything and it was just an absolute mess. Why? Because Jesus isn't afraid of your mess. He's not intimidated by your doubts. He invites us to ask these questions. He's inviting us to make room for him in this because when we make room, he will move. Even as he's up on the cross, there's, there's a thief on either side of him because he's in a criminal's execution. And there's one thief that's kind of mocking him and jeering at him, and there's another thief that says, hey, Jesus, even right now, could, could you make some room for me? And Jesus looks at him and he says, I tell you, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Today, hope and healing is entering your life. Today, Things can be restored. It's never too late. You see, long before you ever decided if you were going to make room for Jesus, he made room for you. And while we were still in our mess, he died for us. Oh, but he didn't stay dead. (laughs) If that was the end of the story, man, there's no reason for us to gather here. He, three days later, got up from the grave, conquering death. And then by his spirit, friends, we are able to conquer. By his spirit, we can have the peace of God. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you if you're a believer. And you can experience this Christmas season with just a little bit different flair if you crack the door and make a little room. 
I don't know where the door is cracked in your heart. Maybe it's completely closed. Maybe there's just a little bit of a peephole. Maybe, maybe it's completely wide open. But my challenge to you today is would you just make a little bit more room? Whatever area of your life you need to make, would you make a little bit more room? Because that's where God wants to move. Can, can we do this? Can we just stand together? Bow our heads and close our eyes. Perhaps today you've come here and you have never entered into a relationship with Jesus. It's this relationship that is the channel by which we can be saved, we can be forgiven, that our soul can be completely power washed, that he doesn't remember our sin and our mistakes anymore. Past, present, and future, completely gone. In an instant, in a moment, and maybe today that's the step that you need to make, the crack that you need to open up. If that's you and, and you need to step into a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I would love for you to say this after me. It's not a prayer that saves you. It's, this, this is just an acknowledgement of something that's already happening in your heart. God, the Holy Spirit of God is already drawing you to him. He has since the beginning of time, since you were birthed into this world, he has brought you into this moment to have a date with destiny so if you need to receive Jesus, would you pray this after me? Say, dear Jesus, I need you. I have been trying to do this life by myself, and I'm falling short. Today, would you come into my life? I'm opening up my heart. Would you move? This preacher says, if I make room, that you'll move. And I desperately need you to move. I need you to fill me. I need you to change me. I need you to give me a new direction, a new hope. I believe you died on the cross for me and you raised from the dead and I want your spirit to live inside of me. So I invite you in right now. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer with me just now, I'm gonna invite you to do something bold. Right where you are on the count of three, one, I want you to raise your hand in the air as high as you can. Two, nobody else is looking. This is not a popularity contest. This is not three. Go ahead and raise your hand. Hands are already going up. Amen. 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 Keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. Amen. Amen. Hands are up. If you raise your hand, I want you to just look me in the eye. Everybody else with your head bowed and your eyes closed, just look up here. It's the best decision you've ever made in your life. And you didn't come across the finish line. You jumped out of the starting block of a new adventure and a new trajectory. And we would love to help you with that process. Following after Jesus is just a series of next steps. We want to help you take those next steps. This is the best thing that could ever happen to you. And the Holy Spirit of God has come and invaded your life and you've cracked the door open. And he wants to walk with you now. We want to be a part of that process. So in a second, we're going to sing a song. And if you prayed that prayer to receive Christ, I'm going to invite you to get out of your seat in the back. Just walk to the back. There is a couple tables on either side of the back, and we have a gift for you. It's a Bible and just kind of some things, some resources to help you take your next step. And so in just a moment, I'm going to pray. We're going to sing that song. And if you prayed to receive Christ, just step out of your row, walk to the back. And I'd love to be there uh, to, to meet you. And our prayer team would love to pray with you. And so, Jesus, we thank you so much for what you've done in this room. We thank you for the life change that, that you have brought into this space, God. We thank you that when we make room, that you're going to move 
And you've shown that you move. And so God, we, we dedicate this time to you. We reflect and we look to you. We worship you. We ask that you would have your way in our lives and in this season. In your name we pray. Amen.